This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Julia Magana. Hi, and welcome back. We are in a series of podcasts focused on trauma, but not the kind of you typically think of requiring surgeons, massive transfusion protocols, and well, you know the drill. In May, we covered trauma-informed care. This month, June 17, we will talk about a violence prevention program that will knock your socks off. And in April, we spoke with one of my favorite people, Dr. Mary Clyde Pierce, also known as MCP. MCP is a PEMDOC, a child abuse expert at Lurie Children's Hospital, and a researcher extraordinaire. She is also my mentor, so it's not like I'm biased or anything. (laughs) This heartbeat is a follow-up to that podcast. It could have been different. If you did not hear that podcast, stop what you're doing and go back and listen to that heart-wrenching podcast. Okay, if you're still listening, I assume that you heard the podcast, It Could Have Been Different, or are driving and can't change the channel. So a quick recap is, not all bruises are created equal in kids. There's an easy mnemonic to help you remember which bruises you need to take more seriously. 10-4 faces P. Okay, now this mnemonic applies for kids less than four years of age that did not have injuries in a public confirmable accident. So 10 stands for torso, ear, and neck. Four stands for bruises anywhere on a child that is four months of age or younger. And FACES P stands for F, frenulum, A, angle of the jaw, C, fleshy cheek, E, eyelid, S, sclera, and P, patterned. If you see bruises in those areas, you need to take it seriously. And you'll notice that faces actually represents the areas of the face that are particularly worrisome. Now, in the podcast we mentioned, the only way to see these bruises is to look for them, as in put foreign down in a gown. Afterwards, we heard from Dr. Aron Karini from Sweden. He gave permission to share his question because I bet it is one many of you have. Here's his question. Thank you for the great podcast and a hugely important topic and special thanks to Dr. Pierce for doing this very impactful research. Regarding the foreign down in a gown approach, realistically, what do you think about the feasibility of such a policy? Does UC Davis Pediatric Emergency Department do this for every child under five? Okay, I hear you, Adon. This is challenging. It's hard to put every kid into a gown. And in this heartbeat, we ask MCP that and more. At the end, I'll give my take on it as well. So take a listen. One of the components that we looked at with this entire study was that social history, right? If you don't have a brilliant pediatric social worker with you in your emergency department, what are some of the key social questions that we need to know to understand the social context around this child? We published an article called Bringing Back the Social History that lists the questions that we ask, uh, and that's actually available. Uh, we also are working on the data. Another paper will be coming out, um, and we're working on the the psychosocial components of, and just showing the uh, power of each of these questions in predicting abuse. What was interesting is that um, uh, there were some key questions, I think, that really reflected risk more than others. One of them, we did publish this on um, the attributes, so when parents describe their baby, especially in very negative terms, like if they said the baby was 
very, very selfish or very, very greedy or very, very needy. Babies are all of those things, but when uh, you have a baby that's come to the hospital that's injured, usually those aren't the terms that parents would describe them with. And we found that uh, the odds of a baby, when a negative, a parent used negative words to describe a baby's personality, the odds of that baby actually having an abusive injury were increased by nine. So it's uh, little things like that. But when people start hurting babies, there's something has gone wrong. We need to not minimize that in our own heads and think, oh, they just probably lost their temper for a second. Let's give the benefit of the doubt to parents. That's what we as physicians uh, or nurse practitioners or whatever our uh, clinical providing angle is. Uh, we often, we're just kind of trained to give the benefit of the doubt to the humans that we're actually interacting with. Sure. And I think that we can't take that luxury when it comes to like we have evidence before us that's telling us a different story. We want to be compassionate and kind. I mean, that doesn't cost anything, right? And we don't know what anybody's gone through or what anyone's gone through. And so there's no reason to have the arrogance or, or you know what I mean? It's like there's no reason to approach it that way. But I think that it's really important to understand that distressed families hurt children uh, or angry humans, or there's something that is wrong if somebody's hurting a baby, grabbing a baby, throwing a baby. So somebody needs help. So to ignore these signs uh, of these early warning signs, we're not doing anybody a service. You know, MCP, the youngest infants are the ones that I'm always worried about. What did we find specifically on infants less than 12 months of age? We're working on that paper too. <laughs> I agree with you totally that we looked at children that were under four years of age for two reasons. The whole study was like under four yep. because basically almost 80% of deaths from child abuse occur before the fourth birthday. And those children are too young to seek help or to even understand they can get help. And they're too young to even articulate what's happening to them. But more powerful than even that stat, is, I think, is that almost half of deaths from child abuse occur before that first birthday. That's pretty staggering. Yeah, it is. And it's when your brain is the developing the most. It's developing all kinds of things. Your human body is developing all kinds of things. So it's just a critical time to get it right. Like every single day, more brain cells are supposed to be growing. So we just don't have the luxury of time. We've got to get it right. You know, the, the time is brain. Well, that's definitely true. Uh, it's a totally different way of thinking. But like we have a bruise on a child, a baby's abdomen or an ear bruise and a, like a six-month-old Time is brain. We don't have the luxury of waiting and just thinking, oh, let's see what happens, you know? Yeah. But what we found is that the still the strongest predictors of uh, abuse were still the 10-4 faces P. That's still those regions, the torso, ear, neck, the frenulum, angle of jaw, cheek, eyelids, and subconjunctiva, and then pattern bruising. Those still captured almost all of the infants correctly, but there was a subgroup of infants that were missed. And that's really interesting why they were missed. And so we, we just let the data tell us what to do. We included the fourth month. Instead of being cut off at the fourth month, it included the fourth month. Mm -hmm. So any bruise anywhere on an infant that's 4.99 months or younger, um, it predicted abuse. And that was importantly, to, though these uh, motor vehicle crashes were not included in our study, as you know. Yeah. So mm -hmm. important. I don't know anything's game if you're in a bad motor vehicle crash and the child's ejected or whatever. So that's a different, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. But any bruise anywhere on an infant that's non-ambulating, it makes sense, right? They're not old enough. Like if they have a shin bruise, a shin bruise in a two-month-old yeah. is wow. big, big, <laughs> big deal. They're not walking. They're not banging their shins and anything. It's like, but, and yet I can, I've heard people over again, it's always just a shin bruise, probably from changing the diaper. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Babies have amazing collagen. They're just like so amazing. They look so young. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we have to like 
think of them differently, just like we think of fevers differently in a baby. 38 in a two-week-old uh, is very, very different than temperature of 38 in a four-year-old. We think of it differently. So a shin bruise in a two-month-old is very, very different than a shin bruise in a three-year-old. Yeah. So great. We can think of that differently. I think about it as like they're not able to create enough injury to crush that tissue and the blood vessels to pop, right? Like yes, they're just exactly. not able to. I love Dr. Sugars. Those who don't cruise do rarely bruise, right? Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. brilliant. It is brilliant um, because it just it shows that they're not able to get that energy up on their own. So somebody had to help them get that extra energy to create that bruise. Yeah. Uh, so I take that infant bruising just very seriously. And I think less than four months of age makes a lot of sense because they're not rolling off of tables and there's just not that same energy that they're able to produce in the same way. And we found bruises incredibly rarely in that group, right? Right. And especially if they came in with a medical chief complaint, not without a trauma chief complaint of like, oh my God, my kid fell off the table. (laughs) I have a reason. (laughs) Exactly. And that's where we have to use our our clinical judgment. Uh, You know, we always use our clinical judgment with evidence infused. Sounds delicious, doesn't it? (laughs) Evidence infused clinical judgment. That's what we're hoping for. Because if I have a baby that has a forehead bruise where the mom was or the dad was like, walking with the baby and they fell up the stairs and the baby has a little conk. It's like, does this all make sense? Yeah. Is this plausible? Does it make sense? If it makes sense, I go with that. And if it doesn't, but most often, interestingly, we found that most abused patients uh, in this study presented with a medical complaint Mm -hmm. and not a trauma history. So that's really important too. When I say that, they like present with fussiness or vomiting or something like that. Whereas um, rather than the complaint of like, I dropped my babies. Are they okay? <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. It's really important. The paper that you and I did together first uh, on the prevalence of bruising, remember? I'm sure you do. Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> uh, but that was published in Annals of Emergency Medicine. That was a thrilling publication for us. I think it was the first paper that came out of this. this yeah, brand. I think yeah. it was. One of the reasons we did that paper was because everybody was like, well, we're going to be working everybody up for abuse because everybody has bruised. And we're like, no. And so we were able to show that the prevalence of bruising is actually extremely low in this first year of life. So MCP, when you talk to emergency department physicians about this, how do you suggest that clinicians integrate this information into their practice? Like, should we create a screening protocol? Should everyone be put into a gown? What's the best way to integrate this into your daily practice? The secret sauce is in nursing, that's for sure. Our nurses, they have such amazing Uh, exam skills and observation skills. It's such a collaborative effort to actually make sure that we're thinking and capturing and noticing. And so if I had my wishes and wishes came true, I would just have four and down get in a gown and that we pay attention and that we actually notice and document and we notice and we ask questions. And if it makes sense, uh, move on. And if it doesn't make sense, we don't just like, so, well, it's just, never mind. It's just a minor injury. We don't, we don't dismiss it. So that would be the first hope that we would actually change practice. A lot of emergency departments don't get children that are young down in a gown. If they're in a major trauma, like those kids get fantastic assessments, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But for the little things, we don't. And we're busy. But it's actually, you know, like I I incorporate uh, looking at the skin in my physical exam. Like, for example, if you really want to know if a child's in respiratory distress, you have to see the chest wall. 
you don't hear it as much as you see it, you know, and you have to see the back, what kind of muscles are, are they using accessory muscles and are they using abdominal muscles? So at the same time, I'm doing my informed respiratory exam. I'm also looking at their skin and it, beca- it doesn't actually add time, you know. It really doesn't. You know, everybody's always talking about adding screening tools for child abuse. And there's no one question or even short series of questions that we can ask a family like, do you abuse your child? Right. (laughs) So there's no one question that you can ask, but you can do a good skin exam as part of your screening for child abuse. We know that cutaneous injuries are the number one manifestation of child physical abuse. So Just get in there and take a look at that and then use that as your key to then ask, okay, 10-4 facies P, does this fit into those categories? And then those ones get a deeper dive. So you're, you know, coning out big and getting more and more specific as you move forward just by doing that skin exam. Exactly. It's a screening tool, not a diagnostic tool. That's so important to say. It was designed to be a screener. And so it's just like notice at first. So it signals that the child's at risk for these findings being from abuse. That's what it signals. And some of them have a much stronger signal than others. That's why we published basically the, you know, the data that so you could actually see how the rule was built. And uh, so if you have like if I have a child that has a angle of jaw bruising and an abdominal bruise, that kid's at risk. There's no if and or but about it. If you have bilateral jaw bruises, it is what it is. And so to turn your head the other way doesn't doesn't help. It hurts, you know. I know that uh, doctors Rachel Berger and doctors uh, Daniel Lindbergh have doing some cool things where they're working with EMRs uh, to actually get some uh, automated things. And we all love automated, don't we? Yeah. How much do you love a pop-up? Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite part of every shift. I love. Can I get a pop-up? Go away, BPA. Thing? Go away. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they've really been respectful about uh, having it fire when there's when there's a reason for it to fire and not hope they're working on making sure it's not overexhausting. Mm-hmm. I know that Dr. Lindbergh is working on a special set that it includes our rule as well. So I think that, you know, like first you have to see what's different and then creatively with the way the world has changed in so many wonderful ways, find ways to have technology help us uh, with our evidence to add to our decision-making technology can't make our decision for us, but it adds to our knowledge to make, helps make a better decision. And, uh, and we're also, as you know, working on an app as well so that uh, you can actually put your patient's finding in to the app. It's a cute little 3D human, and it'll actually compare your patient to all the patients in the, this study and uh, helps what, let you know what the American Academy of Pediatrics would recommend the, from that point. So I'm really excited about that. That'll be coming uh, in the next year. I like that the concept of the app and being embedded with inside of the EMR because it empowers you to see these common injuries, but see them with knowledge. Yeah. Being able to really see them and understand what they actually mean, which I think is the power of this whole research. I agree. Anything else you think we should know? I just think that, uh, again, the reason that bruises deserve more respect, I think that the biggest reason that there's medical recognition failure that these children are put back in risk is that people equate the severity of the injury with the severity of the risk. And with bruises, it couldn't be more opposite. The severity of risk is actually probably inversely related in some ways. Those subtle bruises over the eyelid or maybe a little tiny frenulum injury on that baby that's fussy. I mean, like we all, what do we do if we have a fussy baby? We look for a hair tourniquet. We look for a (laughs) corneal abrasion, right? 
But what about a skin exam? What about looking at that frenulum? We had a, you know, we've had cases in our own emergency department where they were fussy, fussy, fussy crying. And then suddenly there's that frenulum injury, you know, and you actually, then they have a, then you find a rib fracture or whatever. So it's actually how easy is that to do a skin exam on those fussy colicky babies to make sure that somebody isn't losing it or that it's not the reason the baby's colicky or fussy because of a brain injury or something like that. It costs you nothing. It costs you nothing. Huge. All right. I think that's it. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time to talk with us and uh, sharing all of this exciting information. Thank you. Okay, Aaron. I hope that that was helpful. And I want to weigh in and answer your question from a UC Davis perspective as well. The four and down in a gown actually was for the research shift so that we could do a very thorough examination. Now, a lot of children's hospitals do have that policy and see it as their own screening exam or policy for screening for child abuse. Not just child abuse, but goodness knows I have personally caught rashes or other marks that are clues as to the source of the fever or other chief complaint. That said, we do not specifically have that policy at UC Davis. I do agree doing a good physical exam gets you most of the way there and being intentional gets you the rest of the way there. My personal policy is to lift off the shirt, to ask the parents to help take off the onesie of everyone less than four years of age, because it's part of my own personal screening for abuse. There is no one question that we can ask, and it takes so little time in a very select population. I think whether you choose to have a nursing policy in place, like a lot of children's hospitals do, or have your own personal policy in place, either way is reasonable. You could also be more targeted and intentionally do it in kids with a certain chief complaint or those that are less than 12 months of age or trauma patients, but truly taking off clothes and looking for injuries intentionally is an easy screen that we can all do. Check out the show notes for links to all of the resources mentioned in the podcast. And thanks to Aaron for sending a thoughtful question that was the perfect lead in to our already planned follow-up podcast. Keep sending us comments and questions, and honestly, we welcome podcast ideas as well. Follow us at EM Pulse Podcast, and thanks for listening. 